So where do you look or who do you look to to find your identity? You know, whether you admit it or not, we look to the things we follow or the people we follow to find our identity. I mean, we look for our identity in who we follow. Um, It's a way we can control what people think of us, it's, it's a way we can control our identity is we, we control who we follow. And, and many of us will control it by who we follow or even unfollow on social media. We manage our identity by the groups, the social groups that we, we, um, we, we follow and, and, and we say that we identify with, which actually brings up a really good point. You know, the people you, uh, you follow are those you identify with. The way you see your identity, see, is tied to who you follow. And more on that here in a moment. And it's a very important uh, thing that we're going to talk about today. We, um, if, you, if you're new with us, I'm so grateful that you're here. Joe mentioned it earlier. We have a gift for you. For those online, we also have a gift for you. Uh, if you're new in the room, I just want to remind you, go back to Miss Alicia in the back of the room. She'd love to give you a gift for being with us. For those online, they're posting a link to a, a Connect card you can fill out. And we'd love to send you a gift for being with you. We're just so excited to share this time with you. And we want to let you know that right now. Hey, Westside, let's let everybody know that's new with us. And those online know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Yeah. So we began this series last week called Becoming Emotionally Healthy. And here's a series big idea that we started looking at. Spiritual maturity is having a healthy relationship with God, myself, and others. This is what spiritual maturity is. Maturity is, 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 is having this healthy relationship with God, myself, and others. Now, Many of us think that spiritual maturity, and we've learned that spiritual maturity, we caught that spiritual maturity, is equal with knowledge only. We, this is kind of like one of the, really, the, the unfortunate things that has happened uh, with our version of Christianity that we grew up with, that spiritual maturity, we equal that with acquiring knowledge. And so, because you know more, then you are more spiritually mature. However, spiritual maturity is not just knowledge, specifically knowledge about God or knowledge about scripture. Spiritual maturity is knowing God so you can know yourself. And then as you know yourself, you can know others. And then we apply this knowledge of who we have, of who God is. We apply this knowledge to grow in our relationship with God. Then we apply this knowledge in our relationship with God. Now we can grow in our relationship with ourself. And you do have a relationship with yourself because it's out of your relationship that you have with yourself that comes from your relationship with God, that now you can have a relationship with others because scripture would even say, Jesus would even say that we must love one another as we love ourselves. And so this is where emotional health comes in because we apply the knowledge to grow in our relationships and our emotional health is directly, it infects, affects our relationships and it comes out of our relationships. See, your emotional health is a product of your ability to manage yourself regardless of what happens to you, what others say to you or about you or what they do to you. And this is my working definition of emotional health. So I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an educated um, person, but I'm learned. And, um, and there are things that I've acquired over the years as just I've been studying this for my own sake. And what my working definition, which is important that we have a working definition if we're going to be talking about emotional, becoming emotionally healthy, my working definition of emotional health is this. Your emotional health is measured by your ability 
to manage what you think, feel, say, and do regardless of what happens to you. That's your emotional health. It's, it's, it's your ability. And this is, is what we are looking at. How do we manage what we think and we feel? How do we manage these things? How do we manage these things regardless of what happens to us or what people say about us, what we've done in our past, what, what events transpire? How do we manage what we think and we do? How do we manage what we say and, and all of these things? And so in this, um, Dr. Pete Scazzaro wrote a book uh, last year called Becoming uh, Emotionally, uh, not Becoming Emotionally, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And his book has inspired this series. In fact, the seven practices we're talking about are the seven practices he talks in this book. And this is, last week we talked about the first one. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go online and watch it. We talked about be before do. We need to be with God before we do for God. And today we're going to talk about another one. And, th- and he writes in the book about this. And this is what he says. He goes, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Now just pause and think about that. Because how many of us have grown up with a version of Christianity that you can be spiritually mature but not have healthy relationships? See, we need to recognize that we often say spiritual maturity is knowledge while we tolerate emotional immaturity that leads to unhealthy relationships. We need to call it for what it is. That's not spiritual maturity. See, we often say spiritual maturity, like, or we say we're spiritually mature as what we do. We quote scripture and quote our knowledge. But when no one's looking or when fewer looking, we point the fingers at others or we accuse others, or we say things about others, or we do things to others that don't reflect being spiritually mature, especially a mature follower of Jesus. And there's the conflict right here. See, there's the conflict. See, many of us are following a version of Jesus that, that we, in the version of Jesus that you follow is a way different. It's so different than the version of Jesus or the true version of Jesus that we see in scripture and in, that we see in the New Testament. See, maybe you have a version of Jesus that is in conflict with the true version of Jesus. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever read something that Jesus says or heard something uh, from the New Testament writers and you've said this or thought this? Maybe you didn't say it. Well, that's not how I see it. Or that's not for me. If you have, maybe you are following a different version of Jesus than the way Jesus came to present himself to be followed. See, an American version of Jesus has emerged And really what it is, it's a version of Jesus that we make into what we want him to be. And see, the American version of Jesus promises some things. It promises to help us, promises to help us be famous. See, the American version of Jesus will will, will promise to help oneself be famous, that there's this inner desire in all of us. There's an inner desire in me. I recognize this for fame. 
I, I, at least it's in me. Maybe it's not in you because you're more spiritually mature, okay? So here this say. Now, now you may say, no, Casey, I, you know what? I don't want to be famous. Um, and maybe you're right. You don't want to be famous. However, when someone takes the recognition for the work that you did, don't you throw a fit sometimes? When someone else gets credit for something you've done, have you ever just said, you know what, no, no, I, I, need, I need to fight for my recognition. See, the version of Jesus many Americans have and many Americans follow and sometimes I follow is a version of Jesus that brings me fame and recognition. Uh, you know, another, also the American version of Jesus promises to help oneself be great. And following Jesus Follow Jesus and you will achieve greatness. You will prosper in all you do. For God says he knows that he has the plans for us. It's to prosper us, to give us his hope in the future. So if, if I'm not prospering, then God's not in it. You know, I, I need to prosper in all I do. Which leads to this next promise of the American Jesus, that you will be successful. If you're not succeeding, God is not in it. If it's not up and to the right, then God's not in it. And see, the gospel of Jesus in the American version is that you will succeed financially. You'll be successful and, and you'll be rich and you'll be powerful. And that will imply that you will avoid suffering and grief. You know, no wonder there are so many people and more and more people today deconstructing their faith because... Likely, this was the version of faith that they were taught or the version of faith that they caught in following Jesus. See, this is the version of Jesus that many of us need to recognize that we identify with. I mean, there's a part of that that we want that fame. We want that greatness. We want that success. We want to avoid suffering and grief. So we identify with, we want to follow that version of Jesus. See that this is the version many people follow. However, that version of Jesus and that version of faith is in conflict with what Jesus would teach in a life Jesus would model. See the four New Testament gospels are given to us for two reasons, to share with us what Jesus taught and to show us how Jesus lived. Not just to know, but to follow. This is why we have the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See, we don't need to just read scripture to know the facts of the biblical truths. We read scripture to know God by knowing Jesus, seeing him, knowing what he teaches, learning those things, but also seeing how Jesus lived and following how he lived. And this is so important because Jesus gives you a promise. He gives us a promise that if we follow him, the real version of him, he promises you life a life that you want to pursue, a life that you are seeking and so desiring. So let's turn to Matthew 16 together. If you have your Bibles or whether it's in, your, in print or online, I encourage you to get it out. Uh, in Matthew 16, I just want to put the context. Jesus had just now affirmed Peter's revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. However, we're going to see some tension in this moment between the version of the Messiah the disciples have and the version of Jesus 
that he really is. And this is going to compare much to the version of Jesus many of us hold on to because whether we like it or not, the version of Jesus we want to follow is much like the version of the Messiah the disciples wanted to follow. See, their version of Jesus would make them famous. Their version of Jesus was going to make them great. Their version of Jesus was going to make them successful. And it did not include any suffering. And it obviously had no loss, failure, or weakness involved in it. Because that was the version that they thought they were following. That was the version they identified with. And you can see this all through the pages of the New Testament Gospels. Maybe you don't just see it in the pages of the New Testament Gospels. Maybe you see that in you. That there's a version of Jesus that doesn't line up with the real Jesus. Maybe you identify with their version of the Messiah. See, I often I like to identify with that version of the Messiah. This brings me fame, greatness, success. And I get to avoid all risk, failure, and weakness. And after identifying himself as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus explains to him what he, the Messiah, must do. Read this with me. From that time on, Matthew writes this, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, this is what Jesus said he was going to do. This was the true version of Jesus. And this flies in conflict directly in the face and make, creates a tension with Peter's version of the Messiah. Because Peter's version of the Messiah had no suffering in this. So Peter, verse 22, takes Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Lord, never, Lord, never, Lord. This isn't the version of the the, the Messiah I'm following. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. See, we're going to be great together. We're going to be famous together. We're going to succeed and have success and fortune and power, not suffering and death. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. And that word Satan uh, in the Greek is, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew is the Satan, it's, and it means the same thing, it's adversary, enemy. Accuser, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely, look at this, human concerns. See, when the version of Jesus that I identify and you identify with is in conflict with the true Jesus, you and I become an enemy of God. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, and this is for anyone, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. How do you think that made the disciples feel about their version of the Messiah they were following? How does this make this 
How does this make you feel about the version of Jesus you may be following or have followed? See, is your identity wrapped up in a version of Jesus that is different than the crucified version of Jesus? Do you follow an, a version of Jesus that is made in the culture's image or maybe a version of Jesus is made in your image and not the crucified version of Jesus? See, Jesus calls you and I and invites you and I to follow him. And this means following his way of life that he models, that he invites you to deny yourself and die to yourself daily. This is what Luke and, and Mark would record, that you would die to yourself daily and follow him. See, we are to daily deny ourselves, die to ourselves and follow Jesus. We are to deny ourselves and die, die, die to our desire to be famous. We are to deny ourselves and die to our desire for greatness. We are to deny ourselves and die to our, our, our desires and our need to succeed. And we are to deny ourselves and embrace suffering and grief. So which version of Jesus do I identify with? Which is the version that you follow? Maybe it's the version of Jesus that works for you because you want to identify, have a different identity. See, the question I want to ask you today is will you unfollow your version of Jesus and follow the crucified version of Jesus? That's what I want to present to you today. And here's the teaching big idea. See, disciples of Jesus follow the crucified Jesus. That's what followers of Jesus do. Followers of Jesus identify with the crucified Jesus and they follow him. So which version of Jesus have you identified with? And which version of Jesus are you following? Disciples of Jesus embrace God's call to follow the crucified Jesus. And only in following the crucified Jesus are you going to find the life that you desperately are pursuing. You may be looking for your identity and your purpose and your value in life in so many different things and you're pursuing so many things and that's why you follow so many things and you need to unfollow those. And you need to find your identity in Christ and who he is. See, Jesus invites you to follow him to discover the real you and experience his true life. See, you will discover your identity when you follow the crucified Jesus and unfollow your version of Jesus. Our problem is, is we follow a version of Jesus that honestly, we've made in our own image and we must repent of this. See, I must repent of following a version of Jesus made in my image and follow the crucified Jesus to be restored into the image of God. If I have made a God that works for me, or created Jesus to fit the identity I want to have, I need to repent. And when I make Jesus into my own image, when you make Jesus into your own image, what happens is we miss out on being restored into the image that you and I were created to be. And we need to repent of that. So how do we repent? Well, repentance is all about who you follow. It's stop unfollowing one and following the real version of Jesus. And here are four ways I want to give you to repent by following the crucified Jesus. First, concede that you were not built for fame and crucify your pursuit of popularity. 
We need to concede that we were not built for fame. And we need to, so we do that. We concede by crucifying our pursuit of popularity. Ed Stetzer um, made a statement in a podcast hosted by Carrie Newhoff last year. Uh, Cassie, my wife, shared this with me last year. And I don't even remember what the podcast was about, but I remember a statement Ed Stetzer made in this. He said, we were not built for fame. And when I heard that, it just sunk inside of me. The Holy Spirit like put super glue on the inside of my heart to make this sick. Because this is something that we all, at least me, I recognize, I, I crave sometimes. I want to be recognized. But I'm not built for fame. See, we were not built for this. We were, this is why fame breaks so many people, if not everyone who pursues fame. It breaks them because we were not built for fame. We were built to reflect the glory of God and make Jesus famous, not to seek glory and fame for ourselves. Jesus constantly refused popularity. This is why he would heal people and tell them, don't tell anyone. He was modeling also something for us to do. And right at the end of this teaching, Matthew 16, uh, Matthew tells us that six days later, Jesus takes John, James, and Peter, the three inner of his, uh, his leadership team, if you will, and he takes them up to the mountain. There, Jesus is mysteriously changed or transfigured, as we use in our, our, our language. Um, his, his earthly body was just changed mysteriously. The three disciples then suddenly see Jesus with the two Hebrew Hall of Famers, Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law of God and Elijah representing the prophets. And in this, Peter, maybe he feels awkward, maybe he feels uncomfortable, but he feels like he needs to make this a moment and maybe make this to where others can see this because this could be the start of the revolution, if you will. And he says to Jesus, hey, let's set up three tents or three tabernacles that we can dwell, you know. We'll, make, we'll, we'll, we'll let this be a sign maybe for others. And in the middle of his talking to Jesus, God interrupts the Father. And while he was still speaking, we read, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Mic drop or cloud drop, whatever. I wish I had the voice that would make that sound probably like it sounded. Listen to him. Maybe you need to underline those three words. Listen to him. Because you're listening to so many voices because you're, you're trying to find your identity and you're just searching. There's only one who can define you. It's Jesus. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell down, face ground on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came to them and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now here's the moment they start going down the hill. And maybe Peter, James, and John start making, making their social media plan to share just what happened. You know, in all of this, it's now time to make Jesus go viral. And when the disciples were going down the mountain with Jesus, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Don't tell anyone, not even the other eight or nine. Don't tell them until I've been raised from the dead. See, Jesus would only become famous through God's work 
of raising him back to life, Jesus would humble himself. See, we now tell Jesus about Jesus and what he's done, and the disciples now tell him because he's been raised back to life. Jesus modeled a life of constantly humbling himself and letting God exalt him. This is exactly what he would teach. He would teach that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, God will exalt See, you and I are not built for fame, so don't pursue it. Pursue Jesus. Pursue making him famous. Be content with being famous with God because you're faithful to him. So do you need to crucify your pursuit of popularity and the the pursuit of exalting yourself? Next, embrace humility by crucifying your desire to achieve greatness. Greatness comes by being exalted over others. And we want to be greater than him or achieve more than her. And in this pursuit, we want to become more popular, more rich, more powerful. We want to be more than because we want to be greater than. But the way of Jesus is not that. The way of Jesus is one of humility, To have humility, we must crucify our desire to achieve greatness. See, humility is esteeming others above myself. Paul would define this in a verse we're going to read here in a second. To esteem means to value others. Do you value others above yourself? See, Jesus modeled this. He taught this, and it was caught by the disciples. The apostle Paul would at one time be great in the religious leader's eyes. He would have authority, he would have power, and he would leverage that power over people until he encountered a resurrected Jesus that transformed his life. Because he was transformed by Jesus' greatness, Paul would tell his readers, and I want you to listen to how Paul would write and encourage his readers, you and I today, to even follow the crucified Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to crucify our need to achieve greatness so we can embrace humility. There's only one way to embrace humility. is crucifying our desire and our need for greatness. This is how we can, when we crucify the desire, this is when we can esteem others above ourselves. You and I don't need to achieve greatness. You know why? 
We've received it by becoming a part of the kingdom family of God. When you put your trust in Jesus and follow him as your Lord, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are now adopted by the king and your identity, your greatness is in who you are. It's intrinsic. You don't have to achieve it anymore. So you can abandon this pursuit. You can crucify the pursuit of greatness. Your identity is now in Christ and that alone makes you great. And some of us here today need to receive that today for yourself and unfollow your desire and your ways of being great. Next, submit to God's will and God's timing by crucifying the worldly need to succeed. America's version of success And our culture is all about speed and quantity. Jesus' version of success is not measured by speed nor quantity. Jesus' version of success is measured in patience and maturity. Our timing is now. We live in a microwave society. We want it now. We want to go further. We want to go faster than any other generation. But God exists outside of time. In fact, he is not really, really worried about time like we are. Our definition of success is always going to be up and to the right. However, God defines success differently. Success is becoming like Jesus to fulfill God's purpose and God's timing. That's what success is. See, our identity in following the crucified Jesus That's where our identity, it's in following the crucified Jesus. And the reason we follow the crucified Jesus is so we can become like Jesus. You cannot become like Jesus any other way. This is why you have to follow the crucified version of Jesus. If you're following a different version of Jesus, you're not going to end up looking like Jesus. The only way to become like him is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, to lead you to follow the crucified version of Jesus. And only then will you discover your true self. This is success. This is God's plan. This is what he created you for. God will not conform to your version of him. God will not conform to your plan. See, you need to see that you are a part of God's plan. And some of us today need to crucify our plan for success and follow Jesus' plan for success because they are in conflict with one another. And you know what? Satan wants you to gain the whole world. And you may say, I don't want the whole world. You're right, you may not want the whole world, but I guarantee you want more. We may have this need to succeed, which is because we want to be great. And we want to have fame. But Jesus wants you to be famous with him. He wants you to find your greatness in him. He wants you to be successful in God's purpose, in his time. And he will reward you. He will say to you, my good and faithful servant. So trust that you've received an inheritance through Christ Jesus that will outlast this world and anything you can achieve in this world because it's greater than anything in this world. Back to Matthew 16, Jesus would say, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with angels, and then he will reward each person 
according to what they have done. God has a reward for those who are faithful to his purpose and trust in his timing. So crucify the pursuit of popularity, crucify the desire to achieve, to achieve greatness and crucify this need to succeed. And last, embrace suffering and failure. And the way we do that is by crucifying our need for power, for comfort, and for control. We need to embrace suffering instead of avoiding it. Our culture in our way, in our version of Jesus, is all about avoiding risk, suffering, and grief. Think about it. Everything, most everything we do is risk management to avoid it. We avoid suffering. We run from it. We don't like pain. So we live our lives as, as, as if it's a disease, as if this pain is a disease. But the way of Jesus is full of risk. The way of Jesus is a way of embracing the suffering and the pain. And the way of Jesus is that we identify with our weaknesses and our loss and embrace the grief. However, what we are taught in the culture we live is to shove these under the rug. It's to shove this and, and, and not let them become our identity because it doesn't wear well on us. See, we don't embrace suffering and grief because it's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of failure. So what do we do? We ignore it and we hide it. But the apostles, the apostles, they embraced the model that Jesus, he lived and he taught. And they taught this to the church. The apostle Paul modeled following the crucified Jesus and he modeled this to the comfortable Corinthians. They were getting too comfortable in their wealth knowledge and they were even getting too comfortable in their own sin. And in 1 Corinthians we read, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but, on, but rather on God's power. Paul allowed God's power to be made perfect in his weakness. That's what happens when you bring your weaknesses and don't hide them, God's power is made perfect in your grief and your loss. His grace is there and his strength is there, not when you avoid it, but when you embrace it, not when you ignore it, but when you lean into it and say, this is who I am and it's okay because of the crucified Jesus. I have life regarding, regardless of what I've lost. See, God's grace and strength is revealed in our weakness, in our failure, and in our sufferings. But we seek power, comfort, and control. Why? Because we want to avoid suffering. And we want to avoid appearing weak. But God's grace is greater when I suffer and I embrace my weakness. See, God, Paul would write 
that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. He would say this in a follow-up letter. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. You want God to show up in your life? Lean in to the things that you've lost. Lean into the hurts and the pains that you've experienced. Lean into that because that's where God's grace will sustain you and perfect you. So what must we do today? I think we need to do today what God tells the disciples on that mountain. Listen to him. Who are you listening to today? Who are you listening? Who's the defining voice of your identity? If it's anyone other than Jesus, you're going to miss out on the life that Jesus has. Listen to Jesus, however, because he is the way that will lead you into the truth so you can experience his life. Now, today we're going to give us an opportunity together to have communion. You know what communion is a reminder of? The crucified Jesus. In a moment, I'm gonna uh, ask you to come down. You're gonna exit out your left and come forward. But as you come forward, I want you to think about some things. They're gonna put these questions up on the screen. I just want you to begin to think, what do you need to crucify today? Is there a version of Jesus that is in conflict with who Jesus really is in your life? Who's the version of Jesus you need to identify with? So do you need to crucify today your pursuit of popularity? Do you need to examine your heart? Is there a desire for you to be famous and you need to say, I, I'm not built for fame. God, forgive me. I'm gonna follow Jesus. Is there a desire to achieve greatness so much that it's impacted you that you're putting others down so you look better than others? Today is your opportunity to repent. Follow the crucified Jesus and, and crucify that desire to achieve greatness. Do you need to crucify the worldly need to succeed? Or do you need to crucify your need for power, comfort, and control? And do you need to embrace your weaknesses, your failures, your losses, and even your grief? Because his life is only found when you follow crucified. So I'm going to ask you to stand with us. We're going to sing tonight today as we worship together. Will you think about it? Exit out your left, come down, hold on to your elements. We'll take them together in a moment and let's worship together as we, as we take this.